1: Delighted to have David Hobbs with us. Uh, after a long and varied career, David, uh, what some people say should never have been done is <laughs> you've written a book. Uh, what what was the inspiration, first of all, for putting it all down in black and white?
0: Uh, the biggest inspiration came from Mrs. Hobbs uh, all along, but um, over the years, you know, I've spoken to lots of clubs Porsche clubs, Ferrari clubs, whatever, you know, and uh, BMW clubs, and. Um, i always got some story in there, and everybody said, oh, you should write a book. So I thought about it for about 20 years. Then I started about 10 or 12 years ago um, with one co-writer, with Bob Varsha, who I worked with for many years at the SPN. Then we had a bit of a, uh, a long period where we sort of didn't do much. And then I said, well, do you want me to let Andrew Marriott have a go? Who I've known Andrew, of course, since I was about 18, and he was about 16. And he was a cub reporter and I was a cub driver. And um, so I've known Andrew for a long time. Anyway, he he stepped into the breach and uh, we finally got the thing
1: together. Even that took about four years, so but it's, it's done now. I'm, I'm struck, David, by the extraordinary amount of detail that there is in the book. you basically broken it down into time periods and it's done chronologically. How hard did you have to... Research that did you, did you keep diaries at the time? The photographs, by the way, are outstanding, and I know a lot of those came from, from your own collection. But, but, but was there a resource that you could go to, or did you have to actually physically think about or mentally think about, about what had happened in each of those years?
0: The resource was called Andrew Marriott. I said to Andrew, think, find out what happened in 1967. What
1: did I do in 1967, <laughs>
0: yeah, well, Andrew? yeah, exactly? But <laughs> my memory, you know, everybody says what a fantastic memory you got when I'm telling these stories, but basically. I don't have a very good memory. In fact, there's a lot of races that I did that are not in the book because I don't even remember remember doing the races. But, um, yeah, I mean, Andrew was very good. He's very good on the old uh, computer, so he looks stuff up and finds his stuff. He can uh,
1: spell and things as well, apparently. Well, he can, yeah.
0: And and then, of course, I had my own memories of lots of places and uh, restaurants and hotels. I remember the hotels till about 10 o'clock. And then between 10 and... One o'clock in the morning, the memory goes a bit blank. But other than that, um, so yeah, I mean, a bit of so together, we came out with quite a good little story.
1: It's fair to say that the odd adult beverage uh, pops up once in a while in the various chapters of of this book. Different times, David. Very different times. Very different times.
0: Um, I mean, I never used to drink on race day or anything like that. But you know, we didn't sort of. Uh, live like hermits I mean we didn't go completely berserk over race weekends but uh until Sunday but I mean yeah um we used to drink and imbibe and of course you didn't have to be as fit in those days because these modern cars with the grip the downforce the g-loading you know a driver's got to be really I mean it was fairly fit but not like they are now I mean today they're like
1: as fit, butchers dogs all of them you know fitness butcher talks personal trainers yeah. uh, they are really um, you had a reputation in your day for pretty much driving anything I mean it turned out to be a good career plan if it ever set out as a career plan, was that a plan or was that just a happy accident?
0: The plan was no plan, uh, I mean obviously my plan was to be a Formula 1 driver um, <clears throat> but it was quite hard to get into and I did do quite well early on, I mean I won my first ever single seater race in a Formula Junior at Alton Park. Um, then I came second in my next single-seater race. And everybody that was everybody, anybody in Formula Junior was in it. People like Pete Handle, Mike Spence, Frank Garner, Paul Hawkins, Richard Atwood. And I beat them all in my own only second race. Um, so it got off to a good start. Unfortunately, I really wanted to drive for Lotus and College Chapman, um, who made the best cars. But they were not always the safest cars. You didn't always get to the end of the race either. No, so in some ways, when I look back on it, probably a good job I didn't get into Formula 1 early on because I probably wouldn't be here talking to you now. I mean, of all the people I started with, probably 50% got killed in in racing.
1: Well, you know, that was going to be my next question. There's a lot of joy in this book, but inevitably, because of the times that you raced in, there was a lot of tragedy as well. Um, Nobody ever forgets when those things happen it's a, it's a, an indelible moment in in your mind but you had to think about them for the book again David did that bring back some rather less favourable memories
0: well I mean obviously probably the worst week of my life was uh, I went to Jimmy Clark's funeral because well, I was driving the Brands Hatch 1000 Ks with Paul Hawkins in a, in a Golf GT40 for John Wire and I'm <clears throat> in my rest period and Paul's driving and someone comes up to me and said did you hear about Jimmy and I said what no, I no of course not I've been in the car they said, oh, he got killed today at Hockenheim.
1: And he was supposed to be at that race driving before. He the was Ford, supposed to be he? there.
0: But I mean, the shock was almost too much to bear at the time. Uh,
1: it, it, um, Jimmy Clark had a very special place in everybody's heart and everybody's psyche in those days, and particularly racing drivers, because he was seen as something of a different level to everybody.
0: Well, he certainly had a godlike stature for the rest of us. And, you know, we all thought at the time that it was da- We knew it was dangerous. But when someone like Jimmy got killed, you thought, oh, boy, you know. This, if it can happen to him. If it can happen to him, it really is dangerous. And um, I went to his funeral, and I was with Mike Spence. And we were at the back of the church, and there were some great eulogies and some great words. And everybody was pretty teary-eyed. And he and I were both a bit weepy when we left the church. And two weeks later, I was at Mike Spence's funeral. Yeah. So that was a bad week, about two weeks. And then that year, Scarfiotti was killed, Joe Slessor was killed um so nineteen sixty eight was not a great year um but um and you you know you you had to sort of you just uh, and the one I feel for mostly of all of course is Margaret, my wife, mag's i mean I'd actually put up with it I don't know, we must have been both a lot st- more stupid than we look uh because no, well, I look stupid, but I mean like. I pretend to act not stupid, but obviously I am, because how we got through that, you know, every time I left the house and she's watching me drive down the lane out of our little farmhouse in Upper Boddington, she must have she must have thought time and time again, am I ever going to see him again?
1: You, you did an awful lot off your own bat, actually. I mean, there's some great, as I said, the pictures are fine. There's a great one that I like, which is the Ford Zephyr, uh, a state car, towing the race car with a um, uh, rod Isabella as your yeah. chase car. Yeah. I mean, that That is the most unlikely motor racing equipe I can ever <laughs> think of.
0: Well, you've got to think, you know, my first Formula One race was going to be the French Grand Prix at Clermont-Ferrand for Tim Parnell in 1965. Ridiculously
1: dangerous, second, And by I was, the way.
0: We were all on holiday with the family over in, uh, in East Anglia. So I left Margaret and the boys there. The boys were only at that time, you know, well, Guy was one and uh, Greg was two, uh, three. So I went back to the house at Warwick to get up my gear. And, and a, a guy called Jack Brown, who was an apprentice with me at Daimler, was going to tag along. And I was driving a Cortina GT, not a Lotus Cortina, a Cortina GT. But it had a tow bar on it because we were heading to Slough to the Tim Parnell Racing Headquarters to pick up the car, and I was going to tow it to Clermont-Ferrand on a two-wheel trailer. So that's what racing keeps were like then. I mean, I'm driving in my street car down to the race team, put the put the Formula 1 car on the back of the car and tow it to Clermont. Well, unfortunately, we had a massive car accident on the way to Slough, so I never, ever made my first Formula 1 race.
1: The, the, I mean, you, you were born into a family that had petrol and grease running through its veins because yeah. of your dad, who was... Absolute genius and his automatic gearbox, yep. the Hobbs gearbox, which you know I I had known about that, and I was reminded of it reading the early parts of the book. It was brilliant and never really got taken up. So close to greatness, a number of times. I know. Of course, if it had got taken up
0: and had taken us all to greatness, again, I wouldn't be here now. I'd be on my own private island in the Caribbean somewhere. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Dad... In so fact, about... you
1: got thrown out of a race. In fact, you got moved up a class, didn't you, in your Lotus because you had one of those gearbox fitted and that actually turned out to be a winner for you.
0: Ah, lad. Uh, it was. It was the Germans. The Teutons, as you know, are very methodical. And so the price structure at the Nürburgring for the 1,000 clays was structured on, you know, the fastest, biggest cars got the most money and the smallest, slowest cars got the least. So we entered this 1,100cc GT car and because I got protested by a competitor, they moved me into a 1600cc sports car class, which we obviously had none of hope in hell. Of, cause we were up this again. was all
1: because you had that automatic gearbox? Because I had
0: the automatic gearbox. Yeah, hops, your gearbox is not uh, homologated. So if you have an automatic retriever, uh, you must go up a class or two. Um, and we won it. Because on the last lap, somebody, some hotshot, dropped his Porsche RSR into the dish, and we won the class. And we won about five times the money we would have won if we'd won the 1100cc GT <laughs> class. So that was a very fortunate day. Yes. And I was with my friend Bill Pinckney, and mm-hmm. we had our short sleeve uh, nylon shirts on and our jeans and our, you know, sort of sneakers and a cork helmet, and that's what we drove around the Nürburgring in those days.
1: Yes, but of course, everybody was very safe because there was protective straw bales in front of anything that was hard. Well, the best straw bale was at, uh, at Spar, on the old Spar. The
0: Master Strait is about a mile and a half long, downhill, railway line on the left, drop off on the right with cows watching you in the field. And a barbed wire fence between you and the field, so you knew you were safe. Yeah. And you came to the village of Master and there was a left-right kink right through the middle. When I went back many years later in the GT40, we, we're we going through... We get we arrive at Master at about 210. Um, and then obviously slow up to go through the S's. But as you exit the S's, you're probably doing 160, something like that, you know, between the houses. And the exit point um, is a bloody great European concrete lamppost. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It was safe because they had a straw bale in it, so you knew you were all right. So you knew if you hit the the light pole at 160, you were going to be okay because it had a straw bale in it. Different
1: taste indeed. Yeah. Um, of all the things that you did do, some slightly more planned than others, shall we say, <laughs> and the achievements, and my goodness, there's plenty of them talked about in here. Um, What did you not do that you really look back now and maybe when you were putting this weighty tome together, that you thought, if only I could have done, what would it have Well,
0: been? obviously, I was so close to winning so many classic races, like this one, for instance, right here in 1971. Let's see, yeah. I came here with Mark Donoghue in the, in the um, Sunoco Penske Ferrari, and I mean, it was the class of the field. We were on the pole, we led... We were both evenly matched, Mark Donahue and myself. We got on pretty well. And somehow he got caught up with uh, Pedro Rodriguez. When the circuit was very long, went out the back there a long way. Mm. And he comes in and the tyres shredded and the oil tanks busted. And and he was ramping and raging about Rodriguez running into him. And, of course, Rodriguez was doing the same about him. And at Daytona, the 24-hour race, just two weeks before, we were on the pole there, leading miles. There was a big crash in the middle of the night, which not involved, in, well, didn't involve Mark to start with, but he got caught up in it, and so we came third there. Then we went to Le Mans, and we had Traco, Traco, the Chevrolet guys out in California used to blueprint all of Roger's engines, even the new ones from Ferrari, and they were really reliable. And for some inexplicable reason, at Le Mans, Roger said, "We've got a new engine from Ferrari," and Mark Donohue and the chief mechanic, Woody Wood, had said, No, 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 we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. No, nope, gotta change it. Well, when the boss says, the captain says, change it, you change it. And we lent our engine to NART for Sam Posey's and Tony Dowitz's car, and they came third, and we blew up about seven o'clock. We'd have won that race, yeah, for sure. Uh, we, I mean, we'd already lapped them.
1: You never. Nobody expects to always win in motor racing, but those ones where you are so close yeah. and it's completely out of your control, those are the ones that hurt, aren't they? The real disappointment, another
0: real disappointment, was driving for John Fitzpatrick, who's here today, also selling his book. Of course, it's, a, it's not as good as yours. Obviously, obviously not a patch on my no, book, it but it's is. not bad. It's but, got some nice pictures. Yeah. Um, and John and I, I, then I was driving with Cheery Boots and John had retired but was still yeah. running the team. And we went to the very first ring at the Nürburgring, yeah. the new Nürburgring. It's yeah, yeah. not new now, but it was then. And um, we had put a limited slip diff in our Porsche 962, and the factory cars had spools, you know, the mm. wheels are locked together. And it was a bit damp. So with the limited slip, we were, you know, they was, had a lot of grip problems with the factory. And so as I was going down to the Dunlop Curve, uh, Belloff was going up the other side. So we were nearly a lap ahead. I was going down to the Dunlop Curve, he's going up. And it was like that for the whole stint. And then later on in the race, still the same. And that days of Group C, you know, your fuel was very highly regulated. You, you know, a bit of a fuel run. And we came in for our stop uh, for fuel. And um, the fuel pump supplied by the circuit, obviously, you know, to put the gas to the car, didn't work. So we sit there for a minute. What now? What now? What now? So we went off again. Have to come in again. So we finished second. But, I mean, we had that race absolutely in the bag.
1: You, you gave a race very gallantly under team orders to to Jackie Ix. You I mean, you've got to be selfish as a racing driver sometimes, but that's one that you don't forget. That's in the book well, as well.
0: that was another terrible day at Watkins Glen and the GT40. I was driving with Paul Hawkins, and he was Ix was driving with uh, Lucien Bianchi. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had got behind and they had a fuel pressure, an pro- uh, oil pressure problem. And uh, so we were a lap ahead. And then David York, the team manager, says, we want Ix to win. Uh, and we were a lap ahead and he kept putting easy signs out, slow down. Because as I went around turn one, there was Richard Atwood leaning over the fence waving me on. And so was Paul Hawkins, my co-driver. <laughs> as much as I said, don't listen to them. Yeah, But it was my first really, really, really good driver with a really top team. Hmm. I just did not want to cross management too much. So we I slowed up and he eventually uh, unwound himself. How his engine didn't blow up, I don't know, because he was driving the hell out of it. And then, of course, the next day, the golf management were obviously um, not very happy with it because they saw Paul and I at Elmira International Airport, well, Elmira Airport, and uh, they gave us
1: $1,000 each in cash though so, you're beyond the statute of limitation for taxation on that yeah no, I think I am yeah yeah did final question did you enjoy the process of putting this together and <laughs> is it what you expected I'm looking at Andrew's here as well I'm, I'm, there was a slight grimace on that is is it what you expected and, and has some of it the the joy of putting it together just been thinking about it and going oh yeah I did rather a lot didn't
0: yeah, I? well I I'm very happy with it it It's published by Evro in in Britain, and it's a beautifully laid-out book. I think the cover's terrific. As you say, it's got some great pictures in it, some which Andrew found, some which I found, and, of course, we obviously bought some. But, I mean, um, no, I think it's worked out absolutely up to expectations. Could I have made it better? Maybe if I'd put a bit more effort into it myself, I don't know. But, really, Andrew and Bob, at the beginning, you know, did a lot. And uh, I'm generally pretty
1: happy with it. I'm about three-quarters of the way through it, and I'm <laughs> loving it. Good. It's called Hobbo, Motor Racer, Motor Mouth. Uh, David Hobbs with Andrew Murray, and Sam Posey uh, has written the forward and as ever with Sam, very considered very words. Well,
0: my son, my younger son, <laughs> his idea for, a t- for the title was Hobbo, Gas Pedal to Gas Bag, but the... Uh, the the publishers balked at that one a bit.
1: <laughs> it's a bit parochial, I think, for the for anything outside the UK. David, an absolute pleasure. Good luck with her, whatever you're doing. Thank and you We'll very see much. you again soon. Thanks Thank a lot. great to be on here. This programme is a radio show limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.